Today we are going to be uh, in Matthew 24. Next week we're going to be in Matthew 25. Um, we, we ended last week with um, just this long section of, of Jesus shaming the uh, religious leaders of the time. Um, and not across the board, but really the system that they had set up, these religious leaders had set up. Um, that... Uh, and you know what? I didn't think to say this, but I'm, I'm going to say this. If you're interested, there is a very, very good uh, TV show out right now. I was actually just watching it yesterday. It's called The Chosen. Has anybody seen this? Anybody watched this? It's very, very well done. Um, so if you get a chance, it's free. Uh, it's, it's put out by a, a company called VidAngel. And, and I'm someone who's typically critical of of some of the low quality stuff that comes out of the Christian community. Um, and this is really, really well done. And it gives you a really great insight into the culture of the time that Jesus lived in, including these religious leaders. Uh, they do, do a great job of showing kind of those core issues that, that Jesus was speaking out against. Um, so if you get a chance, that's worth, worth watching. Um, but last week, Jesus uh, criticized the religious leaders uh, for, for pretending to be um, all about following God, but really they were about self. They were about trying to prop themselves up and, and, and their own self-righteousness. And then he ended with this kind of heartbroken statement about, um, about Jerusalem uh, and, and about Israel really as a whole, but, but Jerusalem is, is, is where he was and what he was looking at. So he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. His heart is broken over Israel. He came for Israel. His plan was, was that, that Israel would, as a nation, Judah as a nation, would, would usher in this new kingdom, that they would be the, the, the ground floor, the Jews would be the ground floor of this new kingdom people. And instead, as a whole, the nation rejected him, um, as they had done throughout their history. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And he's going to talk about that here in a second. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, he, we have a couple of chapters here where he's he begins to describe things that are coming. Um, and, and you'll see there's a, there's a question that the guys ask, that, that his disciples ask, um, as he's, after he makes this statement, let's look at this first statement he makes. He says, Jesus came out of the temple and was going away with his disciples and came up to a point out, came up to point out the temple buildings to him. So the disciples were like, check this out, like check out this building, check out this building, check out this building. And he said to him, said to them, do you not see all of these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. 
This was a bold statement on a num- for a number of reasons. For one, there is, uh, the temple was, a, was a, a massive structure, was an amazing structure. I've got a little, actually a little 3D mock-up here that someone did of the temple at this time. It was amazing. I mean, so much money had been poured into these buildings, um, and, and it was like a fortified fortress, kind of, the way it was set up. Um, and, and they're walking through the, the courts, and, and he's pointing out and going, there's, there's not a single stone in this building that will be left in its place. It will be utterly destroyed. It's a bold prediction, not only because of the kind of structure the temple was, but also because there was very much an understanding at the time that the t- this temple was everlasting. It would never be destroyed. That was their understanding. And he's saying, no, it's going to be completely torn down. Talking about things that are coming. That's actually what these next two chapters are about. And so his disciples say this, that as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will we see these things happen? When, when will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, you've got to understand, they're, they're asking really two separate questions here. They're, they're asking, when's the temple going to be destroyed, this, this situation where no stone will be left upon the other? And also, when will you come back? When will you come back and, and, and say, blessed is he who comes, we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Like, when is that going to happen? When, when is the end of the age going to happen? And they're really kind of um, putting these things together. Because in their minds, you've got to understand, I know this is hard for us to understand as Gentiles in the 21st century, but the temple was the center of everything the Jewish people were about. And, And so, and really from their perspective, it was the center of everything that God was about, right? And so if this was going to be destroyed, it obviously had to be closely linked to the end of all time. And Jesus begins to answer them. Now, I will tell you this. This is a hard passage uh, to go over with you today. Not because it's not clear. It's pretty clear. I mean, it uses some uh, of what we call apocalyptic language, which is really figurative. But because... um, there are many different interpretations of this passage. Um, and, and they're not broadly different. Um, they're, they're, there's just different ways of looking at what Jesus says here. Um, and so I just want to say in advance, I'm not going to cover all kind of the different shades of this. Um, I'm going to show you where I come down and why I come down on certain things. Um, but there is going to be this uh, a little section in the middle here where, where we're not quite sure what, what Jesus is talking about. But it's clear, it's clear what he's talking about. We just don't know when he's talking about. So let's, let's get into it. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Understand, this is Jesus' concern. And this is where I'm going to focus today, is not on the nuances of, of what we would call eschatology, like end times stuff. I think we get overly focused on some of those things, that, and it's not helpful to us. I want to focus on why, why Jesus said what he said. Okay? And this is the first thing he says, don't be misled. He doesn't want us to be misled. He didn't want his disciples to be misled. He doesn't want us to be misled about things that, that are coming. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, 
and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. This is the important thing that he's trying to stress to them. He's like, there's, there's gonna be some cataclysmic events that occur between now, when I'm talking to you, disciples, and my, my second coming, when I come back again. There are gonna be some major things that occur. So, some, some, some life-altering, nation-altering. I mean, if you look at the world 2,000 years ago to now, there's no comparison. I mean, I mean you, you can barely find a nation that's still intact over those last 2,000 years, right? Major things have happened. Huge wars have happened. World wars have happened, right? And he's saying there's lots that has to occur, but that's not the end. It's gonna seem like the end. Right? I know the last couple of hundred years, people were talking about during the first world war, this is it, right? Then, then we had the second world war and we had the rise of, of, of nuclear weapons. And I, and I grew up in the Cold War era, right? Where we, everybody was afraid that these, the world was gonna be destroyed by nuclear weapons. This is gonna be the end. We just, we just Russia launches one thermonuclear warhead and the world is over, right? Because we're just gonna and blow each other up. And it's scary. I know I was scared when I was a kid. I was like, oh. It's like lots of things are gonna happen, but understand those things must take place. They're gonna be a part of the fabric of history, but that is not the end. He's trying to temper their expectations because they're thinking, many of them are thinking, this, this is gonna happen quickly and, I'm, and I gotta be ready for it because it's gonna happen right now. It's gonna happen tomorrow. It's gonna happen next week. It's gonna, and, he, and he's like, slow down. There's a lot of things that need to occur. He goes on, he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all of these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. So he uses an illustration here of, of, I'm sure most of us have been involved in in the birth of a child, right? And you have these these pains that, that begin to occur as, as you get closer and closer to the point of, the birth of a child. They're not the birth of, the ch- uh, of a child, but they indicate the birth is going to occur. A child is going to arrive, right? That's what he's saying here. All of this stuff shouldn't get us to go, oh, it's the end of the world. But it should get us to know that God's got a plan and God's working out his plan. And in the end, there's gonna be a baby. Not a baby, right? But in the end, there's, there's, there's gonna be Jesus coming back for his people, which he's gonna talk about here in a second. That's going to occur. So those, those things shouldn't make us afraid and, and hiding and go, oh man, this is the end of the world. We should be excited going, you know what? This is difficult. But it all points to the fact that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus is coming for his people. He goes on, he says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. 
At that time, many will fall away and many betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. It's like during this time period of of now until I come back, there's gonna be a lot of stuff going on. And and you, followers of mine, you're gonna be delivered over to tribulation, to great difficulty. And some of you are gonna be killed. And in fact, we look at the last 2,000 years, if you study church history, it's it's bloody. It's, It's hard, it's difficult. We live in, in like an anomaly, us, in all of human history in the, in the church. It's been, a, it's been painful and difficult and hard, and, and, and the world has hated us. We do live in that world. The, the name of Christ is, is, people hate the Christian West, you know? This is a reality. This has been a reality. And he makes this statement in 12, which I I think is something that we should take note of because he's he's drawing a a connection between lawlessness and people's love growing cold. And he's probably talking about love for God growing cold. These things go together. Uh, In fact, many times when, when I've had sat with students who are, who are struggling with, you know, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. I don't know if I, I, I I'm struggling with, with whether, you know, to trust him with my life or whether he even exists or whether, you know, he's struggling with those questions. And, and sometimes it's a, it's a legitimate, like, um, uh, logical struggle that they have to work through. And, they, and there's, there's great answers for that. And I'd love, I'd love to talk about those things with them. But I would always start with some questions that get at whether there was a sin issue going on in their life. Because I have just seen over my time in ministry that those things are so closely linked. That as someone struggles with, with lawlessness, with, with, with disregarding God's law and going, I just, I just don't care what God thinks about this area of my life, they begin to walk down a road of growing colder and colder and colder toward God. Those things go together. Now, he's not talking really on an individual level. He's talking on a, on a broad level. That the more we reject God and, and his instructions, the more we will lose our love for God. Now, just for a second, I'm, I'm just, this, is, this is Nate's humble opinion here. I, th- I think we are headed more and more, year by year, as a church in America, toward lawlessness. Now, I know that sounds like we're an outlaw in the, in the 1800s and we're, we got our six-shooter or whatever. That's not what's being talked about here. More and more going, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I, don't, I just don't care about what he says about my life. I don't care what he calls me to. That's not important to me. Or, you know, there's a million different interpretations of that particular passage and I'm just going to take the one that suits me. That's, that's all, those are all marks of lawlessness. And I think as that happens, our love for God as a church in, in America is just gonna grow colder and colder and colder. I think it already has in many denominations and different places. We gotta be careful of that. But he says this is the kind of stuff that will go on during this, this time period. Now I'm just gonna interject here real quick I'm um, not talking a lot about this. One view on these passages, 
um, and this might be the view you hold, is that he's talking about a seven-year period that we would term the tribulation, that that's what he's talking about here. I don't find that here. I think he's talking in general about his first, the time he's talking about until his second coming. Um, But I just want to put that out there. That's one interpretation of this passage. And I don't think it makes a huge difference whether you go either way on this. He goes on, he says, but one who endures to the end, he will be saved. As, again, as my opinion, as, as the American church begins to become more and more, less and less concerned about God's will for their lives, um, it's, it's those who, will, who stand, who hold, who endure. Endure means to, to stay in place, to hold your ground. As we stay in place and hold our ground in the midst of an increasingly, uh, a church that increasingly rejects God's law, um, that's where our salvation comes from. He finishes off this section. It says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. This, this is, we know this has been true. In fact, it was, it was essentially true within the first century, within these guys' lifetime. That, that Jesus is saying, right now it's this little movement. Not many people know about the good news, about what God has done and what God is doing through his son, through me. But he, um, he says this is gonna become not a regional thing, this is gonna become a worldwide thing. And now us, 2,000 years ahead of this, go, yeah, definitely. Christianity, following Christ, is an international movement. It's everywhere, it's all over the place. But he says all of this stuff has to occur, all these, there are lots of wars, lots of difficulty, lots of tribulation, the, 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 a lot of history has to occur, and then the end will come. He's trying to temper their expectations here, that's, that's his whole point, is going, there's a lot that has to go down. And I'm not telling you when it's going to go down, he's going to talk about that here in a second, but a lot has to go down before the end comes. Don't get ahead of it. Point on your handout if you're filling out your handout. It says, the end of the world is coming on God's timetable, but much difficulty must occur before the end. Through all of it, we are called to patiently hold our ground. The end of the world is coming on God's timetable, but but much difficulty must occur before the end. Through all of it, we are called to patiently hold our ground. I'm going to reload some oxygen here. He goes on. He says, therefore, based on this idea that, that there's a lot that has to go down and that things are going to be difficult and you're going to be persecuted, things are not going to go well for you. Therefore, When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out of, get the things out that are in his house. 
Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will ever. So the big question, this is really, the, these six verses are probably the one that, that um, theologians uh, talk about the most, have the most discussions on. And it's really a simple question. Um, Is this part of something that's still coming in the future, in our future, down the road? Um, Maybe maybe a tribulation time that's coming before, right before the end of the world? Or does this refer to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which did occur? The temple was destroyed and remains destroyed to this day. It was destroyed in in 70 AD. There was a a revolt in in 66 AD by the Jews. The Romans did not like that. It took them a while to kind of get a handle on the situation, but eventually they laid siege to the city. They uh, destroyed, they basically destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, it wasn't completely destroyed, but the temple was completely destroyed. They put down that revolt. And to this day, there is no temple. And you gotta understand that that event, it, it completely changed the Judaism. I mean, they had to completely rework that, that religion from, from, from the bottom. Because everything revolved around temple worship. Everything did. And now they don't have a temple and they've gotta come up with all these new ways to, to do their religious practice. And so um, I will tell you, my, my take on this is I believe he's talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70, something that was going to happen just a few decades after he's speaking here. And, and, and I'll tell you why um, I come down on this. There's, there's really, a, I won't get into all the nuance, but there's a couple of just bold reasons. Um, plain in-your-face reasons. One is he's referring to Judea here, right? That those who are, who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Well, Judea doesn't even exist anymore. Now, you could say that this is, this is uh, um, the word's going out of my brain, uh, th- that it's an allusion to maybe modern-day Israel, which has only existed for, you know, 60 years or so. Um, so like maybe he's referring to the reconstituted Judea, which has a different name that's Israel. I think he's talking about Judea. And he's trying to warn these people, these disciples that are in front of him. He's, he's like, when you see the abomination of desolation, this, this situation that's coming in and, and is gonna destroy the temple, when you see wind, get wind of this, run. He's being really practical here. Get out, go somewhere else for a while but get out of Jerusalem because it's going to be really, really bad. And the description here of how difficult this is and how bad it was really fits the actual historical event that occurred in 70 AD. The second reason that I, I would say that he's referring to that time period is that in, in what I see as the parallel passage in Luke, um, he starts this section by saying, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then recognize her desolation is near. Luke's account is is much more like almost identical to exactly what happened in 70 AD. Actually, to the point that some theologians who believe Matthew is is not talking about 
what happened in 70 AD. They believe Luke is talking about what's, what happened in 70 AD because it's, it's pretty clear that's what he's talking about. You know, he uses some of the same language. You know, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The Romans are going to come and trample you underfoot. He's, it's, it seems pretty clear to me he's talking about the, the destruction of the temple. So he's warning them. Understand this is where I'm coming from. He's warning them about this destruction. And, and, we, and, and we know that something very similar to this, a difficult situation just like this, occurred within a few decades of when he's speaking. And the temple's destroyed. And their life as a nation is basically destroyed for, for literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Israel is not recognized as a nation until, uh, what is it, 1948? 49? Um, so, uh, I mean, that's all that time, right? There's no temple and there's no Israel. There's no Judea. There's no Jewish people, Jewish nation. It was devastating, absolutely earth-shattering for these people he's talking to. Point on your handout, and um, I left this a little vague, um, since there are a couple of interpretations of this. Judea was predicted to and did go through a particularly difficult event. If you see this as still future, maybe just scratch out and did. Doesn't have to apply. Judea was predicted to go through a particularly difficult event. And that was the destruction of the temple. He goes on. More things, more coming things to prepare for. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Again, he's, I believe he's talking about between when he's speaking and his second coming that all of this history is gonna happen, all this difficult stuff is gonna happen over to our world over that, diff, that long period of time. And, and whenever the end is, he said if, if there wouldn't have been an end that had come, no life would have been saved. We would destroy ourselves. If he didn't have an end time in mind, we are so messed up as a human race that we would destroy ourselves, whether by nuclear bombs or whatever. We would just annihilate ourselves because that's who we are as humans. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of you and me, because he cares about us, there is going to be an end. He is going to cut short the end of, end of the days here that we have on this earth. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, here's the Messiah, here's the Savior, or there he is, he's come back, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, 
there the vultures will gather. It's a nice picture. He's, he's um, trying to warn them and warn us against those who would, who would say, hey, 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 Jesus came back and he's living in a room in my house. No. Or Jesus came back and he's, he's, he's doing this like small, like wilderness ministry. Come join our little group in the, in the woods. No. He says, don't be misled. When I come back, you'll know it. It'll be like lightning flashing through the sky that everyone looks up, oh, wow, look, look at that, right? Everyone's gonna know. It's like vultures around a dead body. That's kind of a gross picture, but like if there's a dead body in the wilderness, how did they know that someone died in the wilderness? Well, there'd be vultures, right? Everybody would go, hey, look, someone is dead out there. Anybody want to go get him? You know, that's how you would know. Everybody would see it. It would be obvious. So this is going to be obvious, guys. Really obvious. Don't be misled. And there have been, we, there's been notable instances of people being misled, right? I mean, the first one that comes to my, my mind is Jonestown. Everybody familiar with this, right? The end is coming, Come with me to South America and let's drink some Kool-Aid. What? No. Don't buy that. Don't get sucked into that. His coming will be noticeable. Will be a big deal. He goes on and it says more about that. He says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to to another another to the other now I don't know if this is apocalyptic language or not if, it, if it's apocalyptic it's figurative he's not really saying that this is going to going to go down I, I think it's very very possible that it's that it's literal that, that these things will happen the sun will actually be darkened somehow the moon will actually be darkened the stars will actually go out the, the powers of heaven will be shaken his point here whether it's figurative or not is this is going to be a big show right? I don't know if you've ever been to a concert. I've been to a few concerts, but I've been to a few concerts where right before the band gets on stage, they just, all the lights go out. Anybody been to one of those? And what does the crowd do? They're like, woo, right? Because you know something's coming. Like it's, this is going to happen. And all of a sudden they blast the lights up and it's like, you know, it's like awesome, right? Like this is what he's describing here. It's going to be so monumental that everyone's going to know Jesus is here. He came back. Look, it's amazing. So don't be misled. That's where he started, right? Don't be misled. Don't be drawn in to these apocalyptic movements that, that, Talk about some secret thing going on over here. Come to our secret club in this room and, and you'll be a part of the inner, the inner group. Don't get sucked into that. 
Then he gives a little parable. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all of these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Again, he's trying to tell us, as we see major world events going on, cataclysmic things, things that make us wonder, is this the end? COVID-19, right? Is this the end? It's, it's, you know, when it first started, people were like, ah, this might be it. Wipe us all out. Don't get scared. Don't get focused on that. Instead, just be reminded, God's got this plan that he's working out, right? And the end's coming. Hallelujah. Yes. Can't wait. He's right at the door. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 34 probably uh, causes the biggest angst among theologians. Um, I I don't find it to have a lot of angst because I see it as Jesus talking about the period from when he's speaking to the period of his second coming, and this makes total sense. He's like, you're gonna, you're gonna see these, this kind of history start to work itself out. In fact, some of you are gonna see the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. You're gonna see this going on. This period is starting after I leave you. But the, the important thing for us to focus on is not parsing 34, but 35, recognizing that when he says something, this is the way it's going to go down. This is the thing. The elders have heard me beat this drum a million times about eschatology. I think Jesus is being very, very clear about our response to these truths. Our response should be, he's got it nailed down. That's what our response should be. He's got it nailed down. However it works out, it's going to work out. We've got a lot of different theories on how it's going to work out, right? Those theories don't really matter in the grand scheme. Honestly, I think of all, I've read a lot of theories, a lot of eschatology stuff, right? A lot of different perspectives on a lot of different stuff. I think we're all going to be wrong, to be quite honest. I think when we actually see it, we're going to go, oh, that's what he meant, right? But in the meantime, our response should be, he's got it. He's working it out. He's making it happen. And when he says something's going to go a certain way, that's the way it's going to go. And that's the final word on it. Pointing your hand out if you want to fill it in is Jesus will return. This world will end. And if you find that being an oversimplification, it probably is. <laughs> but that, that's it. That's what he's saying. Jesus will return. The world will end. Now, with that in mind, obviously the first question that probably most people have, you've probably had this question, I know I've had this question is, okay, Jesus will return. The world will end. When? Can you give me like date and time, 1053 maybe, would that be a good time to to end it? Like, when's it going to happen? Give us some details. Because I want to make sure I'm ready for it. I know when um, we uh, have people over to the house, we clean up our house. 
And our house is, is semi-clean in the, in the, in the middle time uh, because Sarah Joy uh, cleans it all the time for us. Uh, <laughs> she's always doing the dishes for us, and I really appreciate her. But anyway, sorry to embarrass you. I'm right there. Um, but, uh, but when someone's coming over, that's when we really do the cleaning, right? Everything's got to be in order. Um, so we want to know, hey, what time is this dinner going to happen? Oh, Thursday at 6 o'clock? Okay, the house has got to be clean at Thursday at 6 o'clock. We've got to be ready, right? So we're going to make sure that that happens. It's an, it's, a, it, you, you, it's an obvious question. You want to know. I want to know. I want to make sure I'm ready for that day. So he says this. He answers without really answering the question. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. I don't even know. But the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the Son of Man be. You can picture the people in Noah's time. I mean, there was, I, I think there was probably billions of people on the earth at this time. There's a lot of people there, right? A lot of people around. They're just hanging out. They're just going about their daily activity. They're eating, they're drinking, they're doing it. And they're like, hey, what's that? Right? Flood, hit them. Like nothing. They had no clue. No clue. Until it happened. It's like it's going to be exactly like that. It's just going to be instantaneous. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Normal everyday activities are going to happen. And all of a sudden, boom, done. So, with that in mind, therefore, be on alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Here's the point. Here's what he's getting at. Here's, forget all the rest of that stuff, uh, but the illustrations that he's giving, this is the point. The point is be on alert. Be ready. If, if we had people coming over to our house, if we had some important person coming over to our house, the, the president was gonna come have dinner with us, but he's like, I can't tell you my schedule. I don't know when that's gonna be. It's gonna be sometime in the next two weeks. What do you think we would do? We clean our house, right? We clean our house now, right now. Because maybe he's coming five minutes from now. We don't know. Let's clean it now. Get it up to snuff. And then we would continue to clean it. We would continue to maintain the level of cleanliness that we want when we have someone over to our house because we don't know when they're coming. They could come any moment. I want to make sure that we're ready. We're going to continue that, make sure that that happens. He says, be on alert. Be ready now. Like, get, get, get things in order now. And then maintain that readiness, that state of alert. You know, we have, we have death, DEFCOM levels in, in, in America, you know, where the, 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 our defense condition goes from five to four to three. Like, it, you gotta, it's your state of readiness. And the, and the military forces, they recognize they can't stay at the highest level of readiness all the time. So they have to kind of, you know, push those levels of readiness up and up and up and up. We're called to live at DEFCON 1 all the time. Highest level of alert. Ready. 
ready to go. He says, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Again, another, another illustration, right? If I know someone's going to come rob my house, the lights are going to be on, I'm going to have my gun, I don't have a gun, but I'll, I'll get a gun and I'll be ready to go. Like, I'll have the police there waiting to put him in handcuffs. Like, I, I would be ready to, to take care of the situation. That's not usually how it happens, right? You wake up the next morning and, oh, my stuff has been stolen, I wasn't ready. I wasn't alert. He says, using this illustration, be ready all the time. Because it's not going to be when you think it is. It's an important thing. A lot, I, I, I've seen a lot over the years, and I, and I have a little bit of pushback on this, of people going, this is, this is when it's going to happen. This is exactly how it's going to happen. This, is, this world event is causing, this is, this is the one link in the chain. Hey, we're, we've just got two more links in the chain. It's happening right now. Like all of this stuff. I push back at all that stuff because we're all going to be surprised. We're all going to be, oh, whoa, hey, it happened now. Okay. Good thing I was ready. Be ready. And this is a hard message, I think, um, you know, doing youth ministry over the years. This is a hard message for students to hear. Because every student I've ever met thinks they're going to live to be 80. And then every year, someone at their high school, someone they know, a friend of theirs is lost. And suddenly they go, oh, whoa, whoa, hold, hold, hold on. Wait. Got to be ready. Got to be ready. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave who who his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave for whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Just one more illustration, right? He's like, the, the, the faithful servant, the servant that's going to be most honored is that servant that's ready at any moment to serve the needs of the master. Any moment, any moment, any moment. But if the evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time. I know, he doesn't usually come till like Thursday. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him to peace, in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, the pretenders. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So a hard thing to hear. We like happy messages, right? We like happy information. And we got some good happy information, right? Jesus is coming back. There's no better news than that. I'm ready right now. Anybody want to go like now? Like 11 o'clock? Let's just go. Like, let's do it, right? That's great news. But, but what if he is coming at 11 o'clock and it's, it's 10.59 and it is 10.59. What if he's coming at 11? Where are you at? You ready? Or you go, you know what? I can figure that out later. I, 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 can, I can address my readiness state at a later time. He's not coming back at 11. 
Don't do that. Because you're not going to think, oh, he's not coming back then, and then he's going to come back. It's exactly when he's going to come back. So be ready. That's his whole point. Forget figuring out all the nuances of how things are going to go down. That's, that's secondary. Fine. If you, if you think that stuff's cool, check it out. The point is, be ready. Point your hand out if you want to put it in is live in a state of readiness to see Jesus at any moment. Live in a state of readiness to see Jesus at any moment. And I just have that question at the bottom. I'm hoping if you're not ready that, that, that the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart this morning. You've been maybe looking at that question at the bottom of the handout the whole day and wondering. But it's an important question. Are you ready? Are you ready right now? Are you in a place that you will not be ashamed if he shows up in the next moment? And if you're not, the answer to that is not going, oh, woe is me. I'm such a mess up. I'm such an unready person. The answer is Jesus' call to you. He's pleading with you. Get ready right now. Like, do what it takes. Clean up the house now. Go do it. Don't wait. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we so long for your return. So long for it. We are so, re- so, so wanting you to come back, so wanting to be, to be collected from the ends of the earth to you. We want you to come right now. I want you to come right now. Please do. But in the meantime, while we wait for your timing, for your perfect timing in all of this, Lord, help us to do what it takes to be ready. Help us to get our house in order. That may, that may mean some very significant addressing of issues in our household, in our lives. Lord, help us to address those issues. Help us to be ready for your return. Only you can do that. Pray this all in your name. Amen.